Parashat Shmois, we introduced to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe was chosen to be the future leader of Klai Yisrael. But the MS is, long before Moshe was nominated by HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the leader, he was already showing the qualities of leadership. Moshe, as we know, was brought up in Paris Palace, and there he was free from any kind of servitude. He wasn't confronted with the same miserable reality that his Jewish brothers faced in slavery on a daily basis. And nevertheless, Moshe doesn't seclude himself in the conquest of Paris Palace, but the Pasuk says he goes out to see the suffering of his brothers and try and participate, try and alleviate as much as he can the difficulties that they're facing. And what happens? He sees a mitzri beating one of his Jewish brothers for no reason, and Moshe is inspired to action and he kills the mitzri. And the result? The Jew that he saved he goes to inform on him to Paris authorities, and from being in a position of security and safety in the palace, Moshe has tried for his life, and it's only through Nisim that Moshe escapes and survives and goes to Midian. And later on, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses him to be the leader of the Jewish people, he is appointed to go back to Mitzrayim. And one and be the leader of the Jews, including those who had wanted to kill him, including those who had reported him to powerful authorities. And if we think that this experience was unique to Moshe, let's look at other examples of Jewish leaders. Let's look at David Amalek. David Amalek was appointed as a king. We don't find he did anything wrong, and yet he was chased by the former King Shaul, he was hunted, they were trying to kill him, and once or twice Shaul's army nearly succeeded in capturing him. And afterwards, Tawir Amalek becomes the king to rule over those same soldiers who had been trying to find him and kill him before that. And you want one last example? Yosef who was also shown the dream, the prophecy that he was going to become a king. And his brothers wanted to kill him. Eventually they sell him as a slave. And years later, Yosef becomes a king over those same brothers. The same brothers who had wanted to kill him, the same brothers who had wanted to, or did sell him as a slave. And even if in Yosef's case, one might think this was his punishment for speaking Lashon Hara about them, but if we see that this is a cycle which repeats itself, we find it by Moshe, we find it by David, so we understand it's more than that. This was part of the road to royalty. That a king had to be in a situation where he himself, his life was being threatened. And when he becomes a king, then it's over those same people who had originally wanted to kill him. And the obvious question is, what's the significance of that? Why would that be the case? What was the message that the king had to learn? 
let's look at the challenges faced uniquely by kings. A king on the one hand has tremendous power, but as I said, power corrupts for two reasons. There are two nisyanis that specifically a king would face. And again, the nisyan is in order to maintain his power. What's the nisyan the king is going to face? The first one is a king has authority. A king has power. And therefore, a king is very tempted to use that power to consolidate his reign, to destroy any opposition, to take revenge on his enemies, to root out any threat or perceived threat to his malchus, and to destroy it. As we know, kings who weren't Sadiqim did. When we talk about the kings of the ten tribes, so when one king came to power, he would destroy any of the former king's relatives who were perceived as a threat. And we find even worse than that about certain individuals such as Abimelech who came to power and they killed their own brothers because they were a threat. And we don't just need to look in Jewish sources, history is replete with cases of people who have become to power, become kings and purged any opposition and destroyed any competing forces. That's the first design of the king. The first design of the king is that he's going to utilize his power to consolidate his reign, to establish his authority. And there's a second Yetzirah which is unique to a king as well. And it's also in order to maintain his power. But it goes in a different direction. And that is the Yetzirah that a king has in order to please the population. Because when a king thinks that his support base is the nation he's ruling over, and if the people are happy with him, then they're going to work together with him, they're going to submit to his authority, they're going to accept his rules. But if the people are not happy, they're going to rebel. And therefore, a king is very tempted to follow the lead of the people he's meant to be leading. To take his direction from what the public wants to hear. And therefore, even if what a king is doing is morally wrong, is against the halakha, is not something the king himself would consider the right thing to do, but he's bound to the will of the people. And if that's the case, such a king gets corrupted. He gets corrupted because in his desperate plea to always please everybody else, he'll do everything wrong. Those are the two challenges faced by kings. Let's look at examples of each one. Let's look at an example from this expression, King Pharaoh. <coughs> and look at a fascinating Midrash. The Midrash says originally when the Jewish people started to become successful in Egypt 
and they multiplied and they started becoming taking successful positions in government and key positions in, the in, in commerce and industry and the Egyptians started to feel threatened and the Egyptians started to feel that they were being overcome, overtaken by the Jews in Mitzrayim and they came to Parai and they asked Parai to enact laws to persecute the Jews, to discriminate against them to limit their power and Parai refused Parai said, these people came here by my royal invitation and now I'm going to go and discriminate against them it's not the right thing for me to do these were my guests Pharaoh was the one who sent the message to Yosef to bring his brothers and his father to Mitzray. And therefore the Midrash says originally Pharaoh resisted what the people wanted to persecute Israel, to enslave them. But the Midrash says what happened as a result? The Midrash said if that's the case we're not going to accept your laws. The country turned against him. And for three years, three months, I'm sorry, for three months Pharaoh had no authority. And after three months, Pharaoh came back to the Mitzrim. He had capitulated. And he says, okay, give me back my power. I'm willing to persecute the Jews. And from there, Pharaoh went on to be a cruel despot who had no problem enslaving innocent people, bathing in the blood of children. He became the Parahirosha we know from the story of the Torah. That's the first challenge a king faces. That's the first Yetzirah the king faces. And that is to achieve power or to keep power. He's willing to sacrifice his morals. He's willing to sacrifice his principles. He's willing to conform to the wants of the society. And the second one, the Gemara says, never offend the young Roman. Why? Because the way power worked in Rome, it wasn't a family, it wasn't necessarily that the heir of the king became the next king. The power could be transferred to uh, whoever the senate would choose, and therefore any young Roman could potentially become a king. And when that young Roman would become a king, so the first thing they would do is they would keep a blacklist of anybody who had fought with them, offended them, attacked them, disagreed with them. And these are the people that are, re- are immediately on achieving royalty and ascending to the throne. They would then go to destroy all their enemies, settle all their debts. And therefore never offend the young Roman. This might be deadly years down the line. That was understood in that culture. That's the second mistake of the king. And that is utilizing his power wrongly in order to consolidate, so to speak, his grip of authority. And if that's the case, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu was priming Moshe Rabbeinu, David HaMelech, Yosef HaTzadik, as future kings, as leaders of Klai Yisrael, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu was preparing them for the throne by giving them the training that they needed 
to become kings who would beat Sadiqim. To become kings who wouldn't get blinded by the ability to use power. To become kings who wouldn't bend to the will of the people if it was against the will of Hashem. And how did HaKadosh Baruch Hu train kings? This is the principle we spoke about before. HaKadosh Baruch Hu trained kings by putting them in a situation where there were those who stood up and tried to kill them. And they were saved. And later on, they, these people became their subjects. Why? Because firstly, that gives the first Nisoyan to the king. Are you going to take revenge on the people who wanted to kill you? Are you going to take revenge on the people who tried to kill you before you came to power? This isn't just I'm an enemy or a potential threat. This is a very real threat. And that's the first point that a king has to overcome. The Nisayan to take revenge on those who wanted to kill him. That enables him, so to speak, not to be able to withstand this challenge in the future as well. So that was the first challenge of the king. And we see, in Moshevayna's case, that even though he came back to the Mitzrayim, where the people who wanted to kill him were still there, and they were Nitzavim Nifnei Paro, they came to, so to speak, make a mockery of him. When he came to Paris Palace, Moshe doesn't do anything to them. Moshe doesn't try to revenge himself on them. We see by Yosef that the brothers come to him with the fear of maybe Yosef is going to take revenge on us. He's going to hate us for what we did to him. And Yosef's response, I'm not in the place of Hashem and I'm not going to do anything to you. And similarly, David Amalek. David says about himself how many enemies he had. All of Shaul's army. And if that's the case, we can call his arch enemy, Shaul's general, Avner Benner. And yet, when Avner decides to, or comes to make peace, David accepts him on the spot. The first challenge that the Jewish king had to face was how to, how to deal with an enemy without using any force which the king has for his own purposes. And then there's a second, the second challenge. And that is, we spoke about the challenge not to bend to the will of the people. And the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu prepares the kings for that is because somebody who's appointed by the people feels indebted to them, feels he has to remain in their good graces, feels he has to do what they want him to do. But a person who the people never wanted in the first place, they never liked in the first place, went as far as they wanted to kill him, a person like that doesn't feel that his authority came from the people. He knows his authority came in spite of the people. His authority came because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to make him a king. And if that's the case, 
he doesn't have any debt of loyalty to what people want. He doesn't think of them as the ones who are putting him into power. Yosef never thought for a second that he was a king by the grace of his brothers. It had nothing to do with them. David never thought for a second he was appointed king because that's what Charles' army wanted. It had nothing to do with them. It was in spite of them. And therefore, a king like that has no problem focusing on, I'm here to serve Hashem. He's the one who gave me the power and he's the one I have to obey. And to show how necessary this lesson was, this experience was, let's look by contrast at the story of the Jewish king who wasn't groomed to be a king. He only became a king in the circumstances when later on Tyreshaw wanted a king. Let's look at the story of King Shaul. And if we look at the story of King Shaul, we will see that there were two tragic mistakes Shaul made. He wasn't a king for a long time, only for two years. And in the course of those two years, he made two tragic mistakes. Mistakes which cost him his kingship, and mistakes which cost him his life. The first one was, the Navi Shmuel who appointed him, came to him and said, in the name of Hashem, you have the instruction to destroy the nation of Amalek. That was the prerogative of the king. You, the king, wipe them out. Men, women, children, animals, possessions, that's your mitzvah. That's your instruction. And Shaul goes and he disobeys. And he keeps the animals alive. And Shmuel comes to him and he says to him, why didn't you listen to Hashem? Hashem's instruction was so clear. Why did he disobey? And Shaul's answer was, because the people didn't want to ruin the sheep. They were good quality sheep. Listening to people is more important than a clear tivri of Hashem. But yes, that's the Nisayan. That's the Nisayan. That a person wants to carry favor with the people and is going to disobey a clear tivri of Hashem in order to do that. And the, re- the punishment shall got, you're going to lose your kingship. A person who's as a king is not loyal to Hashem who appointed him a king. He shows more loyalty to the people he's ruling over. He doesn't deserve to be a king. And therefore, for that mistake, he lost his royalty. He lost the throne. And then he made a second mistake. Shaul was chasing David. He thought that David was a threat to him. And he finds out that David had been hosted in Nov, the city of the Kainim. The Kainim had no intentions of doing anything wrong. They didn't even realize that Shaul considered David an enemy. But it didn't make a difference. Shaul's response, I'm going to kill them all. And he did. This is the second mistake of a king. A misuse of power. To destroy a threatened enemy. Innocent people. But because Shaul perceived them as a threat to his reign. So he went and killed them. That's the second mistake a king can make. And for that Shaul lost his life. It was Nigzar in him that same year he would die in battle. And that's why the training HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides. 
for the king was the ability to withstand these two nations. Let's look one step further. David was appointed as a king. The Navi poured the Shemel and Mishka on his head. And then he's chased and he's hounded and he's nearly captured and he thinks I'm going to get killed. And David says to Hashem, I thought even Shmuel and Navi lied to me. He told me I'm going to be the king and here I am a vi- I'm nearly a victim of Shaul's manhood. Moshe Rabbeinu could have thought similarly. Here I was going out to try and help my brothers try and participate in their tsar and I find myself being accused and nearly tri- tried and nearly executed by Pari. Maybe at that stage that's the way they thought. But in reality HaKadosh Baruch was preparing the road to royalty for them. And the experience that he gave them was what was needed in order to help them be successful kings. In order to help them overcome the challenges which are unique to kings. It was all part of the process. It was all part of Hashem's plan. It was the way He brought them to that royalty.